Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is part two of the Insurgents podcast entitled Practical Lessons in Kingdom Living, and I am joined with my guest and conversational partner, Nico Nikki V. Top of the morning to you, Franklin Flavius Josephus Viola. Glad to be here with our insurgent audience made up of insurgents from all over the world. Well, we're talking about practical lessons in kingdom living. And I want to piggyback off of part one, how you ended it, was talking about this couple and the adopted child in Guatemala. Once again, I want to quote from T. Austin Sparks. The purpose of trial. The God with whom you have to do is a living God. He knows exactly what he is doing. What we are passing through is not an indication of his having forgotten us, abandoned us, or of his having ceased to be, so far as we are concerned. And I'll hit pause right there and say that when you're going through a trial or a tribulation, God often hides himself. It is as if he's left the scene and he's AWOL. And that's what Brother Sparks is referring to here. He is dealing with us in the way which is most of all calculated to reach his end. He is the living God. And then Sparks goes on to exhort us to be faithful, especially in the situation of a trial or tribulation, which makes us vulnerable to temptation. If you or I refuse truth, refuse light, withhold obedience, hide something from the Lord, if you and I are in any way unfaithful, it is with the living God that we have to do. Everything that is secret in our lives, which represents sin, disobedience, refusal of light, anything that is not of God, brings us into the hands of the living God. And he's referring to that passage in Hebrews, which is somewhat disconcerting. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But he goes on to give great encouragement. And I want to read this because it's so powerful. Every time you come to him, do you believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him? That's a promise in Hebrews. How far does your belief carry you? Does it enable you right on the spot where you are to thank him when you seek him? Because you believe that he has answered. O Lord, I thank you that you do not deny me that which is in accord with thy will. I have it. Now, he's talking about before the answer is manifested. It seems that we have echoes of what Jesus said in Mark 11. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them, past tense, and you will have them. So faith thanks the Lord for the answer even before the answer gets to you, even before it's manifested. And that's what Sparks is talking about. 
To give thanks with request is his order, and everything by prayer with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. That is faith. That is not imagining, making yourself believe that you have it. It is faith taking this position. He is a living God, and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek. And if this request is inspired by his spirit, in line with his will, whether I actually enter into possession of it at this moment or not, I know that he hears and answers, and I shall come into it. Faith may be tested. Many of us have asked the Lord for that which is revealed as his will for us in his word, and we have been kept waiting a long time. Just like your example in the previous episode. But the day has come when we have found ourselves in possession of the answer. There was no noise about it. It just happened. He proved himself faithful. By such experiences, we have learned to thank the Lord on the spot. Whether our prayer is immediately answered in our experience or whether the possession is postponed for a year or two, our confidence is that we are coming into the answer, and so we give thanks. That is faith that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God loves that ground, that attitude, that kind of living relationship. It is a relationship which is taking its character from him, the living God. Amen, Frank. Um, Yeah, I think sometimes when we start bringing in the word faith, um, at least in the Western world, and it it may be ubiquitous, it, it could be in the entire globe, a lot of times what we're having faith in is faith. Yeah. And that is not at all what is going on on the pages of the New Testament. Um, faith is a friend of mine really powerfully and succinctly puts it. Faith is not a commodity that we leverage for our circumstantial personal advantage or comfort. Faith is relational trust in a living being. So I'm not having faith in faith. I'm not having faith in an outcome. I'm having faith in my father. Yes. There's a relationship going on here. It's not transactional. It's It's relational. It's not transactional. It's not a business arrangement. Um, I can't, and you see this happen a lot with Christians. They're trying to corner God with his own words and promises into <laughs> manipulating right. a particular outcome. Yeah, but we right. feel comfortable doing it because it's a scripture verse. Yeah. But in case you haven't noticed, God is not going to be cornered by you yeah. quoting a Bible verse back yeah. to him when he has set his nose to forming his son in you. Mm-hmm. Despite your kicking, screaming, crying, pleading, bribing, ranting, (laughs) Mm -hmm. if he is blessing you, he's going to see it through. And and you'll go along for the ride because what comes out of the other side, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, what's awaiting us on the other side of this, any particular trial is an eternal weight of glory. Yeah. I want to read another quote from Sparks that's so relevant to what we're talking about. What the Lord is doing with so many of us is stripping us. Stripping us of the things which we have taken on or we have gotten into. He is stripping them off and bringing us down to the place where it is the Lord Jesus or it is nothing. If the Lord Jesus fails, there is nothing to live for. And some of us have come to the place 
where we have said to the Lord, if you're not going to come in and fill this place, please take us away. There's nothing more to live for. Is that exaggeration? The Lord is doing that sort of thing, just stripping us, stripping us of things, even Christian things. And he's going to fill the place with himself. Those are pretty amazing words. I couldn't believe it when I read it. But I think he's stressing the point that there comes a place in our Christian life where we are put in the crucible that is so severe and so drastic and so devastating in the work of God to strip us down from everything except Jesus, that if the Lord doesn't come through, we're not going to make it. We're not going to survive. And he ends this piece by saying, we have survived. And more than survived, we are here. It is Christ, it is Christ, and it is a mighty Christ in our history. And this gets back to something that has been very dear to me, and that is the thought that we are to recognize when we're put in the fiery furnace God is seeking to do a drastic and deep work in us in transforming us if we don't waste our sufferings, if we don't waste our pain, if we don't waste anything that God is doing. There's a song. It says, my goal is God himself, not joy, not even blessings, but himself, my God. Mm, And that's the place where the Lord wants to bring us. And this ties into this business of transformation. And I just want to say a few words about transformation, which is a huge topic. And in July of this year, 2019, I did a conference which just really cracked the door open on the subject, a subject I'm learning about daily. I'm by no means an expert on it. But the conference was called Rough Diamonds, The Path to Transformation. And we looked at transformation in relationship to our mind, which is huge, a huge subject in the New Testament, our emotions, our will our relationships, our bodies, etc., etc., etc. And one of the things that I said is that transformation in reality, which is the process of God changing us out of conformity to the world into conformity to mm-hmm. his son, is in fact a long, slow, arduous process. Mm. Yes. Nevertheless, sometimes the Lord will take us, put us into a vice grip or a sieve, as you put it, which is to refine us in a very quick way. It will be so intense. The heat will be turned up so high that in a period of months, God will burn out of us habits and patterns that we've had for many years. So there are those periods, those crisis periods where the Lord can, in fact, and does transform certain areas of our lives quickly, where in the grand scheme of things, In general, it takes a long time. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. He is not confined to doing things one way. And and that includes within within the same person. Uh, There are some things in life that the Lord can address very intensely and very rapidly. And some things are more slow. I mean, he's he's the divine surgeon. He knows exactly how to perform the surgery on us that's needed and knows how long it takes. Um, I can get personal for a moment. In 2010, something very terrible and very wonderful happened to me. The Lord stripped away all my ministry. Um, Went from traveling around the world and speaking to groups of Christians, mostly in living rooms, to doing absolutely nothing. And 
if my life were a typical Hollywood motion picture, the next thought or my ne my next sentence would, would be something like, um, it was at this time of stripping that I discovered the profound truths, you know, of <laughs> the love of God, or I came roaring back with a ministry even larger and more powerful <laughs> than the one before, but that wasn't what happened at all to me. Uh, the next two years were spent in a free fall mm. through a spiritual darkness that seemingly had absolutely no bottom to it. And there were more than a few times during that season that I would have and probably did beg mm. to hit the ground, even if it meant the end of, of everything. You know, Paul kind of has a similar thought in his, one of his letters to the Corinthians when he says, we were burdened beyond measure, yes. above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Oh, yes. So, yes, it can get that rough mm. for all of us. Any one of us uh, who's following the Lord. But for me, there wasn't a bottom that I hit, so I just kind of <laughs> continued to tumble through empty, dark space. But um, the, the odd thing was, Frank, was that my outward existence kind of continued on appearing completely normal. I, mean, yeah. I ate, I worked. You took I a shower. Slept, I took a shower occasionally. You put on some cologne. Yeah, we so <laughs> no one necessarily knew. Thank you. Always. I mean, no, no one, no one necessarily knew of the inward bankruptcy that I was completely mired down in. So right. It was like a tale of two cities. And at that time, I, I have to confess, I was one hundred percent convinced that the Lord was done with me. Mm. In my mind, it seemed, it appeared that He had moved on and given up on me, mm. um, and possibly even forgotten about me. And and my thought at that time, my thought process was, well, I can't possibly blame Him. You know, I was a mess. I felt like, I think a lot of us feel this way, like God has met his match in us. Like we're, we're just too profoundly messed up to even be able to fix, like even beyond God's ability to, uh, to repair or restore. So, you know, it can get pretty rough out there, saints. And um, I, I will tell you that the Lord reappeared, mm -hmm. as he always does, if you'll just hang in there. And as Frank said a few minutes ago, not waste the trial that you're going through. Um, and in fact, I, I learned that his reappearing in my life was more certain than the sun rising tomorrow. He hadn't forgotten me, not even for a split second. He hadn't ever left me, even though I could not sense his presence for an incredibly long extended period of time. He was with me every single moment that I was traveling through that dark abyss. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I'm pretty certain he was the one leading me through it. I, I would say that it was terrain that the Son of God knew intimately well. Um, I think Jesus had probably preceded me into that pit and was my guide through it, even though I couldn't even sense him present, let alone guiding me. I think he had been there silently, lovingly, patiently, and also imperceptibly shepherding me through that pitch black night that I was in. And when that veil finally began to lift, somehow I began to catch glimpses of his great love for me. Mm. And not only of his great love for me, but his great love for his people. And even beyond that, his great love for, for the entire human race. 
So the only thing I know to say is that without that desolate, forsaken stretch of time in my life, I don't believe it would have been possible to touch the the deeper aspects of God's love for me. Mm-hmm. And it just seems to me that in the kingdom of God, and we're t- always talking about the kingdom on these podcasts, so we're talking about kingdom realities here, that the precious stones and gems are almost exclusively found in the dark places. Yes. Um, once read a book whose title was, There's No Water on the Mountaintop. Hmm. Um, that's all the way down in the valley because that's, that's where the water rushes to. And, you know, we, we modern day, especially Western Christians, are mostly summit-seeking kind of people. Yeah. And we're encouraged in that direction. And we'll pay large sums of money to fly to conferences and seek out teachings and mm. uh, try, to, try to obtain those elusive secrets to a victorious Christian life and, you know, a thousand other ways to catch a spiritual high. And I'm not disparaging the mountaintop at all. I appreciate those times. But... But despite the great view that you do have at a mountaintop, there are actually precious few things to be gotten at a mountaintop. Um, I would say one of the things that does happen at a mountaintop is that you're revitalized a bit in those high places. And thank God for those refreshing moments. But I think those are mostly given to us so that we'll have the stamina and maybe the faith to... um, to endure those depths of blackness that are yes. part, not th- the whole journey isn't that way. In fact, if you actually go back and add up your days, very, very few of them in the big picture over the span of a lifetime are actually dark. But when you're in the middle of one, it feels like it's always been there and it's always going to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of, you, you kind of get this myopic delusional sense that your life has always been this way and it's always going to be this way and that's that's not mm-hmm. really true but there are black seasons that you know unavoidably await each one of us yeah um but it's there in in that forsaken gloom of spiritual and sometimes even physical obscurity that he's going to give you the lasting treasures and this was one of the verses that I got during that time that a very dear friend sent to me and it's one of those that forever remains up on my wall which is this, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden wealth of secret places Mm. so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Mm. So there's an intimacy going on with the Lord in those, the places that seem the most forsaken. Yes. Um, He's knowing our name in those dark places. That was Isaiah 45, 3, that verse. It reminds me of two things. One, it is in the valley of the shadow of hmm. death, the dark valley, that yep. the Lord is with us. And secondly, it is the lily that is found not on the mountaintop, but in the valley. Wow. He is the lily of the valley. So as dark as it gets, <laughs> he's with us. There is the lily in the valley. The other thing about the devastating nature of some of these trials is that there's no mountaintop at all. It's all about the climb. And it's often one inch at a time. Long game. And we talked about the previous podcast. Here's a quote by Sparks regarding Simon Peter, who he says was blinded by ego and selfhood. 
and it is as if the Lord is speaking to him. You do not know yourself, Peter, but the cross is going to uncover you. Hmm. This is the deeper work of the cross, suffering and pain and trial. The cross is going to uncover you, find you out, and expose you and devastate you. You will go out in despair of yourself and shed many tears. Simon Peter found that the cross is a very searching and a very devastating thing to any kind of self-confidence, self-sufficiency, mm, mm-hmm. self-interest, yeah. or anything of self. It is going to simply desolate that kind of humanity, meaning the natural man that God is seeking to break through mm. the suffering of the cross, the trial and tribulation. Amen. There was a little something um, you've been you've been quoting T. Austin Sparks, so I'll have a go at it as well as I'm intimately familiar with his writings and so appreciative of his ministry. It came to me very young, early part of my Christian life, and has been with me ever since. And I'm I'm thankful for the rich legacy that he left us. But here's a little something he said: the fullness of the Lord's testimony is the expression of the power of His resurrection in our very being and for that there has to be a coming to the place where we know in every realm of our being that our strength is not in ourselves Mm. but in him who is above Mm. and and that's really what's that's what happened to jesus at the cross and in the tomb and that his father took over those place and that's what's happening with us in our walk as well and that we are being positioned in these places of desperation sometimes where the lord has to do everything and be everything that we are simply unable to be he's not looking to eradicate our weakness he's looking that that those are the places where he can be manifested the most clearly and seen by others the most gloriously is through our weakness yes that's second corinthians 12 yeah A great passage to read. Paul effectively says the same thing. Here's another quote by Sparks. Forgive me if (laughs) I'm reading too much of this brother, but he's been my steady diet for several months now. He says, you can have your head absolutely full of the scriptures and know them up there, and they will never save you in the day of crisis. That's a pretty profound statement. Mm. Some devastating experience... All that we have read and heard and thought we knew is no good to us in light of that devastating experience. You will mark spiritual progress and spiritual growth and spiritual maturity by this one thing. How little the individual thinks of themselves. How little they are in the picture. Their own picture and other people's picture as themselves. Or shall I put it the other way? How much of Christ do you meet in them and not themselves. That is the test. How much the cross has devastated them in their own natural life. It is the essential and inevitable way to spiritual fullness, to Christ and the fullness of Christ, which is something altogether different from what we are, what we are by nature. And that is really the great goal and end that God has. It is to eliminate the natural trust in ourselves, the natural preoccupation of ourselves, the natural desire for us to be happy, and that governs our emotions. Mm. We live life by our feelings. We live life by what we want. That's what God wants to devastate. 
And the only thing that is left then is Christ formed in our personality, so much so that when people meet us, they experience and encounter that authority and peace, Mm. that strength and lowliness, that confidence and calmness, Mm. that love and power. We've talked about this before, Nikki, where we discuss how Jesus is he's the ultimate paradox as Kierkegaard called him and so you have within this one person and this encounter of this one person this incredible strength and authority on the one hand and then this incredible gentleness Mm -hmm. and lowliness on the other all wrapped up in the same person yeah it's a mark of who Jesus is yeah yeah Yeah, I I think two of the traits that are so seemingly incompatible that they could not possibly exist within the same human frame are the utter authority that Jesus had and when he spoke was clearly exuded or even without him speaking he clearly exuded utter authority and then at the same time an incomprehensible gentleness gentleness and that kind of authority in the natural order of of this fallen world we live in cannot possibly exist under the same roof and yet that was most likely one of the most incredibly magnetic aspects about coming into contact with Jesus Christ was you knew that you were in the presence of authority and yet equally comfortable and equally exuding and and, and penetrating your being was this incredibly gentle, merciful being who yet at the same time possessed all this authority. Mm. And I think, again, just touching on a little bit of what you just spoke about there in the last few minutes, anybody who is seriously following Jesus Christ, you know, a genuine disciple, At various points along your walk, you're going to have to acknowledge that your Christianity is standing in the way Mm. of further following the Lord. And you're going to have to lay it aside, or at least parts of it aside. And um, it's not so much the scripture that you have to lay aside in that Sparks quote, but it's really your understanding, your partial understanding of the scripture. God's not going to be handcuffed mm. by your quoting scripture at him um, or you're even quoting scripture to yourself because you only have a partial mm. insight into that and God's trying to enlarge himself in you and enlarge the degree of light that you have into into passages of scripture. So I think multiple times in our journey we're going to have to lay aside our uh, Christianity. It was like C.S. Lewis said. He said, my idea of God's not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. And he's the one that comes and shatters it himself. Yes. And we feel like the whole world is caving in on us. That what happens. But, but um, C.S. Lewis said, could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence? Yeah. So if this isn't happening to you, you should be concerned when we kind of get concerned when things like this start happening. This is actually a sign 
of the Lord's presence and faithfulness in our lives to lead us further and deeper into him. And he's trying to bless us mm. with a greater measure of, of himself. Um, and then uh, Lewis goes on to say, the incarnation is the supreme example. It leaves all of our previous ideas of the Messiah in ruins. And when that happens, we either get offended or we get an enlarged Christ. Mm. That's not Lewis. That's me responding to C.S. Lewis. And so blessed are those who are not offended with me as he moves us from, from glory to glory. I want to read a, an excerpt from a letter, a personal letter written to me that a dear sister in the Lord who heard Frank Laubach speak many, many years ago when she was a college student. He made such an impression on her. She said that it was like the presence of Jesus walked in the room. There was such serenity, such radiance, and the energy that he emitted was one of authority and peace at the same time. And it was something that some 52 years later she still remembers because it, it shocked her. I think that's an example of a person who is so close to the Lord that they have the same testimony that the apostles did in the early chapters of Acts where it was said of them, they knew they had been with Jesus. You know, Jesus had rubbed off on them. <laughs> but anyway, in this personal letter, she was describing uh, instruction during a trial from her vast experience and her walk with the Lord. And, and I, I love what she said here. God knows every detail and also knows what he is planning and doing to work everything everything that's in caps together for your good and for the good of those involved for his glory even though he may call upon you to seemingly lay down your life let others see the reality of jesus in some way that only he knows how to bring about he is able to bring you through sometimes it is for us to do nothing it's in caps. And let him do his perfect work. This calls for the patience of the saints. I would just say, as Mary said to the servants at the wedding feast, whatever he says to do, do it. And when they did it, they did it up to the brim. And the miracle happened. We need a miracle, but with Jesus we can expect a miracle. Can we not? Even if things seem worse for time. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I know deep down that there is a way through when there seems to be no way. When these tests seem so unremitting, one gets tired. But that's when we need to run to him quicker and spend time with him, getting our souls and our joy restored. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, 30, which says, Come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that profound? Hmm. Wow. Beautiful. Those are the words of a seasoned, mature Christian who has been through the fires of hell themselves. And with the same comfort that they have been comforted by God, they can give comfort to others. You know, the Psalms give the full range of human emotion in the way they express themselves to the Lord through prayer and praise and singing, and everything from despair to rejoicing 
to sorrow, to joy, to questioning, to anger, etc., etc. And modern day songwriters have kind of tapped into that same spirit because singing and listening to and embracing and participating in songs, S-O-N-G-S, can be very healing and encouraging during times of trial and tribulation. And right now in my life, over the past four or so months, there have been three songs that I have listened to over and over again. Now, I just want to qualify this by saying that musical tastes differ from person to person. And I've had people send me songs, hey, you know, Frank, this is a great song. I love it. Listen to it. And I listen to it. It does nothing for me. I don't like the tune. I don't care for the vocals. It's just a personal preference. And on the other hand, or by the same token, I've sent songs to other people and they're like, I don't really like that. Or you like this? <laughs> Why? So I say this, understanding that some people may not care for these songs. And I'm not sharing this as a recommendation i'm sharing it as a way to kind of open up my own heart to say that right now these three songs have been very meaningful to me to the point where i will listen to them repeatedly and god will use them to minister to me even to the point of tears emotionally so one of them is called my anchor by christy knuckles n-o-c-k-e-l-s and i love it especially the middle part where she talks about hanging on to the Lord and the Lord hanging on to her. And that's a message very dear to me right now. Sometimes through a trial, the only thing you can do is hang on to him and not much else. Mm. Then the other song is called Still by Hilary Scott. And it's all about being still and knowing that he is God, which comes out of the Psalms. A powerful, powerful song the words speak so deeply to me because they express the very thing that I am encountering and experiencing. It's incredible. It's like she wrote the song for me. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is a song by a personal friend of mine who is by far my favorite worship artist. Very well known in the 90s, in the early 2000s. Not so well known today but his name is David Ruiz. He used to be with the Vineyard. He may still be with the Vineyard, I don't remember. He wrote a song called Wash Over Me, which I think we'll end this podcast with, knowing that some of you out there may not appreciate it and others of you may. But I wanna read the lyrics. I had a phone conversation with him in September and I asked him about this song because it was speaking to me, both the music, particularly the chorus and the words, the lyrics, but I didn't really understand <laughs> what the words meant. And so I asked him and I said, Did, were you going through a really tough time when you wrote this? And he said, absolutely. So the words go like this, when the tears are falling. And so he described this as having no answers. He's weeping in despair. And the leaves blow across my mind. And there he has the imagery of fall, a literary sense of the imagery of death and we get the leaves falling off the trees when the waves are breaking and the sun is hard to find yeah so you're in the middle of the ocean and you're almost drowning 
and uh, you can't find the sunrise you can't find sunshine it's dark life is going but you're in this very dark gray period and in the chorus wash over me wash over me till I can't take any more then the next line when the deep is calling so he had the imagery of you know he's in the deep then it switches to a waterfall when the waterfall is my home he's under the deluge of a waterfall and it's just relentless you know it doesn't stop mm. you can't get out of it when I'm all but drowning so he's just barely surviving and I'm treading on my own so he's trying to swim but it's difficult and then he goes into this next refrain I cry a silent prayer that comes out of me and he told me the story of when those words came to him which I won't share here I cry a silent prayer that comes out of me it's a mystery come wash over me wash over me till I can't take any more I dream that my voice is heard in the secret place where I bear my face and so he's pleading with the Lord to just wash over him by his spirit and handle the situation it's very powerful to me yeah I mean songs singing is a great tool um, I remember in a church I was in a number of years ago um, one of the brothers spoke on singing and songs and I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me prior to his sharing but you know singing was not invented by human beings <laughs> yes. singing existed before the earth was even created Mm. So it's an eternal activity, mm -hmm. and it is a tool. It's not only a tool, but it can be one of those tools that we pick up when we are in, you know, the crucible and in in that dark place. You can always sing, and and sometimes it even helps. And sometimes the words remind us of something that we need to be reminded of, and. I don't, I don't need to mention Paul and Silas in the jail singing and everything, but, mm. you know, they just moved into, and I'm, I'm not trying to make a principle here, like if you sing, then something's going to happen, may or may not, but singing and songs and the experiences of our brothers and sisters who have the talents to put those experiences into lyrics and music can be extremely powerful for all of us in you know, help, helping us navigate some of these dark tunnels that we find ourselves in, or just keeping our hearts protected mm. and pure while we're in the trial. And, you know, there's a temptation to become angry or bitter towards other people or towards the Lord himself. Yes. Uh, I have found singing to be something that gets sprinkled on my heart and it keeps it tenderized so that mm. I don't, get stuck in a place where I'm not supposed to be stuck at. Touch our ears, Lord, and we would hear the melody that's beyond the melody.
that's beyond the melody, the sounds, the sounds past what my natural ear can hear, my eyes can see, my heart can feel. Make me alive, 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 make me alive. 